0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Building the Future with Dan Ruddy. I'm joined in by my good friend, Aaron Williams, former director of the Peace Corps and author of a book called A Life Unimagined, a book I really liked. And I wanted to have Aaron on to talk about his book, A Life Unimagined. Currently, Aaron serves as a senior advisor emeritus in international development and government relations at RTI, one of the world's finest social enterprises where he has done extensive work fostering private-public partnerships. Prior to joining RTI, Aaron was appointed by President Barack Obama to head the Peace Corps, which he directed from 2009 to 2012. While leading the Peace Corps, Aaron spearheaded organization-wide institutional reforms that reaffirmed the agency's commitment to volunteer safety and security. In recognition of his service, President Obama commended Aaron for being instrumental in reforming and modernizing the agency. In addition to his leadership of the Peace Corps, Aaron served for 22 years with USAID, where over a distinguished tenure building public-private partnerships in Latin America, the Caribbean, and Africa, he achieved the rank of career minister in the senior foreign service. In addition to his longtime service in the public sphere, Aaron has dedicated himself and dedicates his time to nonprofits. He also spent time as a senior executive of the Executive Vice President of the International Youth Foundation, and he's now in his current role at RTI. So I'm podcasting Aaron today to discuss his fascinating career in public service and to talk to him about his book, A Life Unimagined. Aaron, you're one of my heroes in global development. I loved your book, and it really spoke to my heart. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Dan. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you as always. You know, you have always been a tremendous colleague and someone I've enjoyed working with for probably three decades now. I think. Dan. It's a long time. <laughs> and <laughs> I guess we're getting old, right, here in Washington. We're getting old. And I want to thank you for inviting me to your podcast and for that really gracious, overly gracious introduction, Dan.
0: Well, so so, Aaron, what led you to write your book, A Life Unimagined, which captures your life journey?
1: Then I had two goals in writing the book. First of all, I wanted to leave a legacy document for my five grandsons, our five grandsons. I wanted to write a book about our family and my career in my own words and seen through my own eyes so that my grandchildren would have this for the rest of their lives. And then secondly, I wanted to inspire young students to consider a career in global affairs, especially minorities, people of color, who are still underrepresented in our foreign affairs agencies and in international development organizations overall. I wanted to to give them an example of somebody who came from a a middle-class, working-class background, blue-collar family, who uh, eventually led a life that could only be described as unimaginable.
0: What inspired you to dedicate your life to public service, and how did you find yourself in a career in foreign service?
1: Well, Dan, it all begins and ends in many ways with the Peace Corps. And my service as a volunteer in the Dominican Republic for three years. You know, I was a geography major in college, and I was fascinated about the world and foreign cultures. And I, I was very young during the Kennedy administration, but I heard some of his speeches about the Peace Corps, and I was intrigued by the opportunity to serve my country and live in a new culture and learn a new language. So I decided to join the Peace Corps as a big risk, big risk, damn, biggest risk I've taken in my young life at the time. I was the first college graduate in my working class family. Everybody was fearful for me. They were thinking I was taking this step into the unknown. And also I'm gonna work as a volunteer, right? No salary. Fortunately for me, my mother thought it was a marvelous idea. And my Peace Corps volunteer service in the Dominican Republic transformed my life in unimaginable ways. I just turned 20. I was tested right away by being assigned to serve as a teacher trainer to a group of Dominican teachers. And after two years of service, I had become fluent in Spanish, and I had a unique opportunity to extend my Peace Corps service for a third year as an instructor at the Dominican Republic's premier university, the Catholic University. And also, interestingly enough, Dan, the dean of the College of Education, who was my boss there, was a dynamic Jesuit priest who had been the headmaster of the high school that Fidel Castro had attended in Cuba. He was one of the last Jesuits to be forced out. And the program at the university was funded by USAID. So I was introduced to USAID at a front row seat at a tremendous organization where I would subsequently spend 22 years with USAID. So that's that's really what, really what inspired me. But you also met your
0: life partner in the DR, right?
1: I met my dear wife, Rosa, in the Dominican Republic. So as I say, everything emanates from <laughs> my service as a Peace Corps volunteer in the Dominican Republic, without a doubt.
0: So then how, from the Peace Corps, did you end up at AID?
1: So AID funded the program. It was a joint program with St. Louis University, actually, which is a Jesuit school, to support the Catholic University. And so I worked with a lot of uh, senior aid uh, folks at that time and saw what a career in AID might be. But after I left the Peace Corps, I, I, I shifted from being focused on becoming a high school teacher to get in an MBA and going into business. I worked with General Mills, a right? Fortune 500 company. I was a marketing manager. I still had that bug, Dan. I wanted to go back into international service. And so I got a call, oh, a couple, I guess, about three or four years after I was working at General Mills, and they asked me to come down to Honduras and help design an agribusiness project, which turned out to be, and this will really resonate with you. It was one of AID's first significant public private partnerships in the oh, so I helped create uh, working with, you know, some amazing Hondurans with the USAID mission and also with the two banana companies in Honduras. That's a long, long story. We helped create a fresh fruits and vegetables uh, industry in Honduras, which continues to this day. It's amazing.
0: You had a fabulous career at aid. You're well-remembered and beloved at aid well, and, and really it's handy. true. And one of the, things you did that you're known for at AID is that you were a mission director in South Africa after the end of apartheid, and you were there during the administration of President Nelson Mandela. What was it like to work with him? What'd you learn from those interactions you talk about in your book? What was it like living in South Africa? You talk about it in your book, A Life Unimagined, and it's, it's pretty sobering. So I wanted you to have a chance to share with our listeners that experience.
1: Well, when we arrived there, elements of apartheid were still there. Although Mandela was now president and they had, you know, moved forward in terms of the democratic transformation. But, you know, societies as you know, don't change overnight. And we lived in an all-white neighborhood in, in Pretoria and shopped in all-white shopping centers. Usually the only other Black people in the shopping center were people working there cleaning the shopping center. So it was, a, it was an abrupt change for my family. But at the same time, to have the honor to work during the Mandela administration uh, in South Africa was just a marvelous opportunity. And Mandela was, as as you know so well, an iconic leader. And I'll tell you, he, in real life, he was everything that you can read about him or have observed about him in the media. First of all, how can a man who comes out of 27 years of prison, how could he have no bitterness, right? One of my favorite quotes, as a matter of fact, in my book, is that Mandela said one time, as I walked out the door towards my freedom, I knew that if I did not leave all the anger, hatred, and bitterness behind, I would still be in prison. And he led his life that way. He governed South Africa that way. He he emerged uh, from that ordeal that is unimaginable, right? With no anger, animosity, focused like a laser on the democratic transformation of a country. And he was determined to create a society that would offer a better life for all South Africans, no matter what your race Color, ethnic group, or religion. So I had the privilege, Dan, of meeting him in various encounters besides the official meetings, you know, the formal meetings between the embassy and the government, but also in more relaxed personal situations in small groups. So it was uh, it was unique, and It gave me a chance to see American foreign policy on the front line because at that point in time, as you can probably appreciate, and it's hard to believe it today in, in the world we live in today, South Africa had more clout in terms of American foreign policy than China or Russia. it's yeah, wild. As well as moral leadership. And the whole world was focused on trying to support that democratic transformation.
0: Now, I, I remember that. It's true. And I remember that clearly. And uh, he had enormous moral leadership and was somebody who you know spoke to so many people. Tell us about you started as a Peace Corps volunteer. Then you had the great honor of being asked by President Obama to lead and be the director of the Peace Corps. So, you know, you've talked about how it kind of much of your career got started, but talk about your time as a director and talk about, and there were a number of things you had to take on as director that were some challenges and there were some some hard challenges and there were some wonderful things that happened while you were a director. Talk about that.
1: Sure. Well, first of all, as you can imagine, this was the opportunity of a lifetime. It's really oh, full yeah. circle for my career from Peace Corps Volunteer in the Dominican Republic To director. It's amazing. In the historic Obama presidency, and then to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Peace Corps. So all that came together, right? So it was really an amazing moment for me and my family. And President Obama, of course, was a strong supporter of the Peace Corps just based on who he was, who he is, and his own background and community organizing and how he saw the world. So it was a wonderful environment to work in. And so In my confirmation hearing, I, I stated that I wanted to carry out a comprehensive assessment of the Peace Corps and really create a modern Peace Corps for the 21st century, right? Recruitment training, staff training, program design, volunteer safety and security, medical care, and create a platform for a robust increase in the budget. And of course, like all Peace Corps directors, I focus on the safety and security of our volunteers, right? And It was a wonderful time because we got a really warm reception from the entire Peace Corps community. We had a chance, Dan, to re-enter Tunisia as a part of the the U.S. government's response to the Arab Spring. My senior staff and I traveled to 15 countries, 25 states, 28 cities or something like that to celebrate the 50th anniversary. All of the Peace Corps affinity groups, as you probably know, there are many of them. Friends of Kenya, Friends of Paraguay, Friends of the Dominican Republic, Friends of Korea, they had anniversary activities all over the United States. We were in scores of colleges and universities. And I got to see the modern Peace Corps volunteers these young people doing just amazing things, man. Just really amazing. Just to, just to give you an idea. Leading young girl empowerment clubs in rural Jordan. Coaching wow. junior in Nicaragua. Teaching math in rural Tanzania. You know, math that if kids didn't receive math instruction, they weren't going to be able to move on to higher education. Teaching internet technology in high schools in the Dominican Republic, teaching English as a second language in Ukraine and in rural Thailand, working on uh, improved environmental practices in Filipino villages. Uh, just on and on and on, you know, working on improved livestock and breeding techniques in Ghana. I just I, I, was so impressed with these young people. And it also gave me great hope for the future of our country because I think the people we're about to turn the baton over are going to be well placed to really uh, take on the challenges of our world. I saw all of that in the Peace Corps. I I consider myself very fortunate.
0: Aaron, how would you inspire young people considering your current public service, especially there's a lot of tough stuff going on in the world right now. And there's also, even though there's not, Frank, I don't think our workforce fully reflects the totality and the diversity of our society. I've been involved with a group called First Trip, which tries and get minorities to travel abroad for the first time started by a friend of mine named Dex Burns who's a wonderful. PhD candidate at GW and he was in, worked with us at CSIS, and so I'm on his advisory board for that. and so yeah, that. we wonderful. need to have the leverage the totality of our people and we're not fully doing that. So how do we how do we do better at that?
1: It's complicated in our society, but we really, as you and I know so well, we want our foreign affairs agencies and America's representation worldwide to reflect the true diversity of America. And I think a couple of things need to be done. And I've I've even testified in Congress and a couple of committees about this. I have kind of a perspective about three different things that are important. Number one, any organization that wants to create a more diverse workforce needs to have an understanding of the diverse groups in our society how you reach them how you can create a pipeline of candidates secondly we need to create mentoring and sponsorship programs in each organization so that you can identify recruit identify and promote and support young people moving forward and give them opportunities for growth and promotion right not just try to recruit them but also retain them and give them opportunities for growth and promotion and if you look at the top organizations in the country whether it's in public sector or in the corporate world or in the NGO world, those are the kinds of things that they're doing, Dan. So I think that's really uh, what I try to focus on. And one of the things that I've tried to dedicate more and more of my time to now is focusing on it. As a matter of fact, I just co-wrote a uh, another book focused on it called The Young Black Leader's Guide to a Successful Career in International Affairs. Wow. Focus on the lessons learned of the great giants who served in all three sectors, in government, business, and the nonprofit world. It's a guidebook for the their experience, uh, talks about their experiences, but also provides lessons learned to guide your career as you move what, forward. When is that book coming out? It's already out. came out in, in November.
0: Okay, I'll buy a copy, and I'll have you come back just to talk about that.
1: I would love to do that. You yeah. ought to consider doing By the doing way, something- i like to be, I, I want to invite my co-author to join me. One co-author is somebody I think you know. Jennifer Brinkerhoff at uh, George Washington University.
0: I'll commit now, and we'll find a way to do something at CSIS about the book. That's really, I, I'll, I'll go, we'll buy it today, and I, before Christmas, we'll do something at CSIS about that. That's great. That.
1: Yeah, my other co-author is uh, Taylor Amos, who is uh, an outstanding young professional who's now working at Kimonic. So yeah, we should. Oh, okay, I, would I would love that. love that's awesome. Do that. yeah, we're doing a series of events now all around the country, focus on HBCUs and other interested. Formulas. I love it. We'll count CSIS as one of your partners and
0: we will do something for you. That's awesome. Thank you. You know how these book things are, you gotta like, not just write the thing, you gotta like go out and like talk about it, right? Oh yeah.
1: No, we have, we've been on the, on the trail now for uh, you know, since the book came out, I look forward to engaging with you on that.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go out and buy it today and we'll do something. I love it. That's awesome. In your life on Imagine, you talk about you worked in three sectors during your career: business, government, and the nonprofit world. What were some of the key lessons for successful leadership? What were some of your takeaways about
1: leadership? Well, I've tried to be a student of leadership and I've tried to reflect on some of the great lessons learned, but so what I've seen in my career, Dan, I'm sure a lot of this will resonate with you for sure. Number one, you've got to learn the work, right? You've got to. Work hard, and that goes without saying. Everybody wants you to work hard, you have to work hard to be successful in in your career. But you have to also understand the organization, right? When I was at USAID, I wanted to understand how the lawyers operated, how the contract officers operated. What did health officers think about their work? What about education officers? Because as a project design officer in those days, I wanted to be able to understand their thinking so I could be more effective in working with them in teams, right? So you got to do the work. Work hard and at the same time, try to understand how you can walk in somebody else's shoes who's part of your team. The other thing is that you've got to be a risk taker. I mean, my first big risk that turned out to be the best decision I ever made was to join the Peace Corps, right? To raise my hand. As you know, everybody wants people working for them, with them, will raise their hand and volunteer to take on the big jobs, right? The jobs that might not be uh, that sexy or the ones that have more scut work than you might want to do. But it's important. Take a risk, build your career. And then so the other part about that is that you got to be resilient. There's going to be bumps in the road, you're going to have setbacks, and you got to be able to bounce back. As a matter of fact, the great Bob Gates, right, who, as you know, has been a leader in just about every sector.
0: Yeah, former head of the CIA, Secretary yeah, of Defense. Texas AM. Yeah, Texas AM.
1: Yeah. You know, he's been a leader everywhere. He said that any leader who has not experienced failure has an incomplete education. And I've really taken that to heart. So you've gotta really embrace failure because you can learn a lot from it. And oftentimes it opens up a door to something that you never could have anticipated that's gonna really be important in the future in your career. The other thing, Dan, a couple of other things that that occurred to me, and uh, and you are probably the personification of this, and that is building networks, right? Networks of people that- No breakfast or lunch alone. I don't breakfast
0: or lunch alone, Aaron. (laughs) Never, (laughs) never. Always breakfast with somebody, always lunch with somebody. Always,
1: always. Build your networks. People that you can learn from, who can help you confront the challenges of your career, who can be on your team in the future. You know, I'm really pleased that so many people that I worked with in the past have joined me in my other endeavors and uh, makes all the difference in the world. You know, this podcast today represents the partnership you and I have had for a long time.
0: You're my friend and you're my partner. And I just think you're someone I admire. And you're someone when I've had questions, I've come to you and you're someone that people look to. So I'm really happy to be doing this. I loved your book, A Life Unimagined. I know I'm going to love your next book. And I already said, we're going to be doing something together on your next book on this podcast. I'm looking forward to it because you're a great person to work with and you do great stuff. So I like being with high caliber people with great integrity, with vision, and and you are one of those folks, Aaron. And so I just, I'm so happy that you took time today to be on this podcast. Those are important lessons. I want people to go out and read your book, A Life Unimagined by Aaron Williams, but also I want people to go out and buy Aaron Williams' other book that he has two co-authors with. What is the name of your new book, Aaron?
1: So the new book is The Young Black Leader's Guide to a Successful Career in International Affairs.
0: I love it. I'm gonna like start stacking my library
1: (laughs) books. I love it. First first of all, thank you for those generous uh, comments. Uh, I really appreciate it. I've always enjoyed working with you and I, and I continue to be admire the work you do at CSIS. And I look forward to our continued conversation.
0: Thanks, Aaron. What a Thank privilege. You. Thanks for the time today.
1: Thank you, Dan. Right.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more.